critical to the healthy functioning of our souls. Just as our bodies need nourishment to grow and stay healthy and be strong, so our souls need nourishment as well, the right kind of nourishment to become healthy and to grow and to mature, and thanksgiving is a really big part of that. Friends, without thanksgiving inside of our hearts and minds and our speech and our homes, our souls can very quickly slip into frustration and anxiety and even fear and stress. But thanksgiving is this beautiful thing inside of Scripture when we stop to pay attention to it like we are today. You see, biblically, thanksgiving becomes a way of training our eyes and our thoughts and our hearts on the things of God, the goodness of God, and even the future hope that we have in God. Now, thanksgiving is not the same thing as optimism, especially sort of a simplistic, shallow form of optimism. Thanksgiving is a kind of gratitude with our eyes wide open to life and to the world around us. I'm going to do everything in my power this morning to avoid the phrase, an attitude of gratitude. Okay? Are you with me today? So I promise you, I don't promise you, I won't say that again. Who knows what's going to happen? But it is gratitude with our eyes wide open to life and to the world around us. So during Thrive, in Thrive, we are describing Thanksgiving like this. It is a proper attitude toward God and receiving what He provides. A proper attitude for God and who He is and what He has done, and then that's proper attitude applied toward receiving the gifts that God provides us. Now, this proper attitude of thanksgiving isn't necessarily paying attention to all of the great things that keep on happening to us. What if we're able to train our appreciation about all that God gives even when things aren't happening the way that we want them to happen. Even if the things that we desire aren't happening, are there ways to turn our hearts and minds towards thanksgiving and see God even then? And when we do receive what He provides, we're actually preparing ourselves to receive that as always good and always right. What it is that God provides us, We are preparing to receive that as always good and as always right. The context of events, the situations in our lives may surprise us, may even overwhelm us sometimes as we even read some of that in passages today. But the discipline of thanksgiving opens doors for God to enter into our situations. So this morning as we think about Thanksgiving, we're going to pay attention to these two things. And first is the matter of appreciation. Now, this is probably the kind of thing that we think about the most about being thankful. I am appreciative for what has been given or for what has been done. So what is there to appreciate in life? From the big things to the small things, we learn that we actually should build a discipline of appreciation for all that is going on, for all that God does. So we're going to speak about appreciation, and we're going to talk then also about humility. When we talk about thanksgiving, we may immediately go to things like appreciation, but we don't immediately go to humility. 
We may not think about that much when we think about thanksgiving, but it is a powerful part of this discipline. It's a powerful part of how our gratitude works toward God. If thanksgiving turns our attention to God and to God's goodness, it also puts us in our proper places. It puts God in his proper place and it puts us in our proper place as well. Now, Daniel chapter 6. Um, I'm tempted when we open something like the book of Daniel to just read the whole chapter to you, to talk about everything that's going on in the book of Daniel, because this is an absolutely phenomenal book. It has to be one of my favorite books in Scripture, and Daniel has to be one of my favorite characters in all of Scripture for all kinds of reasons. The book itself is wonderful. At times, it's actually just a little bit overwhelming, that's, but that's part of the beauty of the book of Daniel. And then the characters in the book, especially Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are incredible characters as we watch what it means to be faithful to God in a place like Babylon. As the book opens up, Daniel and his friends are carried off to Babylon as exiles. The nation has been conquered by Nebuchadnezzar in this pagan empire of Babylon. And so the first round of exiles, the first round of slaves to be dragged from Judah into Babylon includes Daniel and his three friends. But they very quickly show a phenomenal amount of wisdom and courage. Even as young men, even possibly as young teenagers, they're in Daniel chapter 1. In fact, Daniel not only navigates the Babylonian educational system very well, he navigates the political system in Babylon really well also. He finds his way right there next to King Nebuchadnezzar as one of his confidants, as someone who is actually very powerful and important inside of the Babylonian empire. And he does all of that as a worshiper of God. He doesn't suddenly become Babylonian. He doesn't become a worshiper of the Babylonian gods. He is, through all of this, clearly and faithfully a worshiper of God. And that's part of what's important about what happens here in Daniel chapter 6. But as the book moves on, the, the empire of Babylon in chapter 5 is conquered by the next empire that shows up, the Medes and the Persians. Now, Daniel not only survives the transition of empires, but he then very quickly, again, rises to the top of power inside of the Medo-Persian Empire. And as Daniel chapter 6 opens, we learn that Daniel is one of three assistants to the king. He's one of, these, uh, one of three vice regents to the king of the Medo-Persian Empire. Now, here's where Daniel chapter 6 begins to sort of take on its, its, its flavor and takes on the tension of what we're going to read this morning. The king is ready to put Daniel in place number two. He's going to become second in charge there of the Medo-Persian Empire. And the other regents there, the other leaders in that empire, they don't like that. Daniel's an outsider. He still worships the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's different than they are, and so they don't like it. They very quickly discover that they can't say anything against Daniel. They can't get him in trouble with the king because of Daniel's lifestyle, because of his integrity, because of who he is. So what they do is they concoct a scheme, and they trick the king, who's a friend of Daniel's, they trick the king into signing a law. 
Because they've decided the only way to get Daniel in trouble, now get this, the only way to get Daniel in trouble is to make the worship of his God illegal. So they trick the king into signing this law that only the king can be worshipped for 30 days. Now that moment, that moment of tension inside of the plot, this now becomes the story of Daniel in the lion's den. So the law is signed. And what Daniel does is he prays and he gets in trouble with this law and with the king. And Daniel's thrown into this pit of lions. And as he's thrown into the pit of lions, an angel shows up and shuts the mouths of the lions. And the next morning, the king shows up and he's hoping that Daniel's still alive. They open the pit and sure enough, Daniel's still alive. The king's excited. So the king then throws all of those other officials into the den. And the lions are not so friendly when they fall into the den as well. But before all of that happens, here's what Daniel does. And I want to read this passage in Daniel chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. And here's how it goes. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. When Daniel knew that that law had been signed by the king, his officials had tricked the Medo-Persian king, the law is signed, Daniel knows it, this is important, Because it's not just that Daniel didn't know because it happened that morning. News travels slowly when there's no internet and Twitter and Facebook. So he just didn't know for sure, but he goes ahead and does what he does anyway. It just so happens that they catch him praying. He knew it. He knew it had been signed. He doesn't just pray. He prays in public. He opens up these windows. He points himself toward Jerusalem where he had been taken slave from, where the foundation of the temple is still there. So he turns his face toward God in Jerusalem and he begins to pray, openly defying an unjust law. The law was clear. The text even says the law cannot be revoked. And Daniel knew exactly what was going to happen. Did you notice the fullness of how the text tells us that Daniel prayed? He opens the windows toward Jerusalem three times a day, and he prays to God, and he gave thanks like he always did, as he had done previously. He prays, and he gives thanks. What on earth? is there to be thankful for at this moment? What on earth is there to be thankful for at this moment? Now, we might feel like the most natural thing to do in this moment is to pray, 
right? These are one of the things that we would do, and we would pray for deliverance, maybe, from the situation. We'd pray for wisdom through the situation. We would pray for courage through the situation, and certainly these kinds of things are going through Daniel's heart and mind as well, but it's not just that he's asking for assistance from God. Maybe he's asking for release from this. Maybe he's asking for courage, come what may. It's not just that, but he's actually giving thanks in this moment. And the example is extreme because this is actually a life and death moment that Daniel faces. The example is extreme, but it is the extremity that makes the lesson itself even clearer to us. So here's part of how I want to think about this habit of thanksgiving that Daniel shows us here. And it is this, the habit of prayer and thanksgiving survives a threat. The habit of it survives a threat against it. Too often, our prayer lives or even our discipline of thanksgiving are contingent upon situations. A situation arises, and that's when we engage in prayer. Something arises that triggers that thought of thanksgiving, and then in that moment, we give thanks. But what we notice is that Daniel prays and gives thanks like he always did. <laughs> Is there a rhythm? Is there a habit? Is there a pattern of thanksgiving in our lives? Because when there is, that helps, the, that helps us overcome a threat that would silence thanksgiving in our lives. So we notice in Daniel's situation that thanksgiving isn't dependent upon God doing the things we want him to do the way we want him to do them. Things going really, really well all the time. Our appreciation is not dependent upon that. Our appreciation, our thanksgiving is dependent upon God. Who he is, the one who will always be the same. In fact, friends, one of the thoughts that should hopefully come clear through our passages of Scripture this morning the things that we're talking about is that the habit, the discipline of thanksgiving can actually help us see God when otherwise we would not. It will help us see God when otherwise we would not. God is always good and God is always just and the habit of thanksgiving can actually help overcome these situations that otherwise would tend to completely overwhelm us. So what if I begin to teach myself this week to even begin my time in prayer with thanksgiving? No matter what it is that I'm going to God with, as good or as bad, as mundane or as big or as extraordinary as it may be, what if I begin to include the habit of starting with thanksgiving to God? Thanks. For the smallest things to thanks for the biggest of things. And if no thing comes to mind, we always should be in the habit of thanking God for who He is and what He does. What about thanking God for the air that I am breathing right now? What about thanking God for actually getting me up and out of bed. I am upright this morning. Some of you ask me sometimes, how are you doing today? And my first answer is, well, I'm upright. God is good. I'm here. 
What about the small things that happen? Because so often we think of Thanksgiving about the big things that happen. We've been praying for something to happen and it finally happens and then we're thankful. What if we are thankful first? What if we're thankful for the God who always provides? The God who is almighty, the God who is always good, the God who is always holy. The God who created the universe and is pulling everything into himself for all of eternity. The God who is always perfectly just. What if we just say thanks for that? God, you saved my soul and you hold my life in the palm of your hands. Come what may, I am your child. Thank you. What if we're thankful for those things? Maybe even on a regular basis. Listen to how the Apostle Paul puts it. When he writes to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 says this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We begin to build that rhythm, that habit, and as we watch with Daniel, even in the extreme situation, a habit of thankfulness can survive a threat against us. So we take that thought and we turn it just a little bit and we're going to look at it from just a slightly different angle for a moment. Thanksgiving is a critical part of prayer and of our inner lives. Of what goes on inside of our thoughts, our thought patterns, of what goes inside of our emotional patterns, how those get developed through our lives. Thanksgiving It's a really important part, not just of what we say to God when we express thanks, but what happens inside of our souls and how we are built. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, again, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul in prison, the beginning of this chapter, he exclaims, rejoice, and again I say rejoice, rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice, he does it a couple of times. Then he gets to verse 6 and he says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In everything, let's do what we can to avoid anxiety, and in the place of anxiety and fear, let's fill it with a God who is here and a God who is good. Let's replace anxiety and fear with the expression of supplication. Here, God, is what I need. You know it, but let me express it to you. And instead of fear and anxiety, let's fill that with thanksgiving instead in all situations. So are our minds trained to only see the things that we think God is supposed to fix? It's very easy for our brains to sort of sit inside of that rut when we watch the world around us, when we interact with relationships, when we go to God in prayer, our souls tend to be trained to see the things that we want God to fix. But are our minds trained to also see the things for which we should be thankful? We're pulling ourselves out of one rut and we're creating a different habit creating a different pattern of thanksgiving. So here's part of what Paul is telling us there in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Learn to pray with a thankful heart. Whatever it is that we bring before the Lord, we train ourselves to thank Him. 
So is there frustration in marriage and family? Train yourself. We should train ourselves that when we go to God in prayer with those things, to include thanksgiving for everything that we can think of. Is there frustration in career? Is there frustration in education? Is there frustration culturally? As we bring those things to God in prayer, we learn to pray with a thankful heart, to think of all those things for which we should be thankful even as we bring our supplication before God. This is something powerful about the pattern of thanksgiving. Thankfulness does not ignore our realities, but it fills them with the presence of God. We're not saying, pretend like those struggles don't exist. What Paul is saying, sitting in prison, is take every one of those things before God and fill it with the presence of God through thanksgiving. See, this is part of the power of the discipline of thanksgiving inside of Scripture. So there is a connection biblically. There's a connection spiritually between our discipline of thanksgiving, of God's glory and His presence in our lives, and then with humility, putting us in our right place in the world. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. As Daniel chapter 6 is a powerful story, and there's a lot going on there, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is a rich passage of Scripture. The longer passage here in the chapter is a powerful reminder from the Apostle Paul about God's continual work inside of His people. And he uses these powerful images in this chapter. I don't know if you know this or not, but you and I are broken things. <laughs> you and I are broken vessels. We are cracked. We are not perfect. But God's work inside of cracked and broken vessels is a renewing power in a growing spiritual dynamic inside of our lives. So here's part of what, the Paul, of what the Apostle Paul says in chapter 4. Let's begin in verse 7. Let's read verse 7. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 says this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This is why <laughs> we have... The power of God inside of these broken lives is so that the surpassing power of God may be seen more and more. God's people, the image is, is that we're jars of clay. We're cracked and we're imperfect things. He is holy and perfect and divine. And God has ordained it such that He fills these broken clay jars with His perfect divine presence. It's almost as if Paul is saying the more cracked this thing is, the more the divine is going to show. The more we realize that we are not the treasure He is, He is the one that is shown more and more. And Paul goes on to say that no matter what happens in this life, 
The child of God is not destroyed by this world, but the child of God has the opportunity to become examples of the glory of God more and more. Listen to verses 8 and 9. I can't not read these with the way that Paul puts it together. Verses 8 and 9 say this, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. No matter what happens, God is at work inside of his children. So as he continues this thought, I want to pick up in verse 13 and hear verses 13, 14, and 15, how Paul continues this thought. He says this, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. So we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that his grace extends to more and more people. It may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Verse 13 is cool. Since we have the same spirit of faith. In the ESV and a lot of translations, the verse and a half there or so may feel a little bit clunky. The New Living Translation puts this verse this way. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith that the psalmist had when he said, I believe in God, so I spoke. So Paul quotes from the psalm, Psalm 116, verse 10. And the psalmist says, I believe in God, so I spoke. Well, great. That sounds interesting. Well, we go back to Psalm 116, verse 10. Here's what that whole verse says. The verse is this. I believed in you, so I said, I am deeply troubled Lord we continue to preach because we have the same faith that even the psalmist spoke when he said I believe in you so I'm going to say to you God I am troubled I am a broken vessel in other words we stand in this long line of God's children who trust Him with everything we are and with everything that we have, even in troubled times. As Paul puts it in those verses we read, verses 8 and 9, the world is sometimes hard on the people of God in all kinds of ways. There is no denying those times of pain and confusion and difficulty whenever and however they show up. But the child of God does not relate to this world as if this world is all there is. This is important. You and I do not relate to this world as if this is it. The child of God relates to the world in the context of God our King. We can relate to whatever's happening in this world in the context of the God our King who exists and His eye is upon us and for whom there is reason to be thankful and whose glory increases more and more. So it isn't just 
that we are jars of clay that will someday pass away. We are children of the risen Jesus Christ, and He is filling us with His divine presence. He said there in verse 14 that we read, knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Every one of us, Paul says, I'm not with you physically, but in the end that's okay. Because the God who raised Jesus from the dead will raise you from the dead. He will raise me from the dead. And we will find ourselves with each other in the presence of God our King. So this is what it looks like. Paul is teaching us. This is what it looks like to relate to the world around us in the context of the God who exists, in the context of God who is king. And all of that is important so that we hear and feel the force of what he says in verse 15. For it is all, all of this is for your sake, so that his grace extends to more and more people It may increase to your personal popularity in the sales of your book and online views. It's not what Paul says. As the grace of God extends to more and more people, it increases thanksgiving to the glory of God. It increases thanksgiving to the glory of God. Friends, it isn't just a simple brute fact that difficulty leads and just means more glory to God, but that when God's grace is given, even in difficult situations, there is more reason for thanksgiving, and God is glorified more and more. I want us to feel this pattern. I want us to feel how Scripture handles this. Oftentimes, a discipline like Thanksgiving, there's not necessarily always just sort of that one chapter in 1 Thessalonians that is all about Thanksgiving, but Thanksgiving shows up as kind of this underlayment, this sort of foundation that just shows up in these curious and amazing times, and we put these pieces together, and we're watching incredible things happen as the people of God just naturally and habitually express Thanksgiving, even in extreme situations. So we notice this in Daniel. We see it in Paul's teaching in 2 Corinthians 4. Appreciation glorifies God. More of God's grace is given, which leads us to thank Him more and more, which means God is glorified even more. Psalm chapter 50, verse 23 puts it like this. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. It's a cool twist of phrase in the Old Testament. Sometimes it is a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And the psalmist says in the voice of the Lord, whoever offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice glorifies me. So Thanksgiving actually has this way of making God big inside of our lives. And again, not just the major moments for which we tend to naturally be thankful, but even our day-to-day average normal moments. 
And Paul even says that others will be able to see God more in us if we are openly appreciative, if we are openly thankful, if we regularly turn attention and thanksgiving back to God. So the question lays before us, how often am I openly thankful for God in all things? How often am I openly thankful in conversation with others? Am I able to talk about the goodness of God and to give Him credit? And we might reflect on a question like that, and, and sometimes our first inclination is, well, sure, I, I can do that. I can be thankful for those things. But I, I've, I've, I have been around the sun a few times, and I've done this for a little while as a pastor, and it is true, you, you know, Phil is still in my head about 22 years old, and he says he's known me for over 20 years. I'm thinking, man, I'm an old dude now. I continue to be amazed at how often followers of Jesus Christ fail to see the hand of God even when he shows up in really big ways. I continue to be surprised by that. And I'll tell you why that happens. They're not in the habit of thanksgiving even on a daily basis. The small things are not reason to give thanks to God. The medium things are not a reason to give thanks to God. And in fact, I hear this in conversation sometimes, when this happens, I will be thankful to God for what He does. And then when that happens, do you think they're thankful to God? They're not. Because the habit they have built in their lives is to turn in upon themselves and not to turn out toward God in thanksgiving. So this is important, and this is why in Thrive, as we speak of Thanksgiving, we actually use the idea of humility, because humility is learned in our Thanksgiving. We train humility in our Thanksgiving. God is great, and believe it or not, I am not. God is great, I am not. In the good things in life, I should want to see God more and more and to help others see God more and more. And even as we've read in the story of Daniel, in the words of the Apostle Paul, even when I struggle, this is a way for me, this is a moment for me to keep my sight on Christ And even in those moments, to help others see God more and more. So, humility is learned, or humility is trained in our thanksgiving. Let's flip that thought upside down and look at it from the other direction. Ingratitude breeds selfishness and frustration and envy And even in its extreme, it breeds hate. Ingratitude has the opposite effect in our soul. It is a vice, and it is something that actually pulls us further and further away from God Himself and what He wants and His presence and work inside of our lives. It actually blinds us to where God is instead of opening the door to who God is and what He is doing. Ingratitude breeds things like selfishness and envy. The attitude of, I deserve, is unsolvable. If that is the attitude, 
I deserve, I need, that is unsolvable. It is a thirst that cannot be quenched. Some of you parents know that. You give that thing, and what's the next step? I want something else. That's not good enough. I need something else. The attitude of I deserve is unsolvable. That kind of attitude in life, friends, it corrupts our relationships with other people. If that's our relationship with our spouse, if that's our relationship with our kid, if that's our relationship with our church, if that's our relationship with our friends, we end up demanding this kind of perfection and conformity and performance from other people for our personal whims that can never be fully met. This attitude of I deserve not just corrupts our individual relationships with people, it corrupts our attitude toward the whole. This, in my mind, and this again is just Pastor Phil speaking, in my mind, we're watching this play out in our political landscape right now. This kind of attitude corrupts our attitude toward the whole. I will not be happy with my community, with my church, with my family, possibly even my entire nation, until I am in complete control of it all. This is what ingratitude does. This is what envy does. But a discipline of thanksgiving allows for beauty and grace and the presence of God even in the midst of imperfection. That is powerful. It allows for the beauty and grace of God to be seen and known and taken in by me and even shown to others in jars that are cracked and broken. It opens our world to God. In a really interesting book, the author Ann Voskamp puts it like this. Something always comes to fill the empty places. And when I give thanks for the seemingly microscopic, I make a place for God to grow within me. What will a life magnify? The world's stress cracks, the grubbiness of a day, all that is wholly wrong and terribly busted, or God. Never is God's omnipotence and omniscience diminutive. God is not in need of magnifying by us so small, but the reverse. It's our lives that are little, and we have falsely inflated self. And in thanks, we decrease, and the world turns right. In thanks, we put ourselves back, and we put God forward. And things begin to put themselves in the right place. The Apostle Paul finishes this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, like this. Let's read verses 16 through 18. So, he says, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This last section is almost like a thanksgiving in and of itself. Things are not perfect here, 
things are trending toward decay in these physical bodies. But God is at work renewing his children day by day. There's almost too much to appreciate in this passage. There's a lot going on. There's a lot to meditate on. There's a lot to allow to form and shape our vision of God in life with him. He says he is actually preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. If we walk this path of discipleship, if we walk this path of following Jesus Christ and allowing the Spirit of God to be at work within us, Paul says, here's part of what's happening. While this physical body starts to fall apart, something else is going in the other direction, and that is the work of God in my life. He's renewing us. He's actually preparing us to be in His presence for all of eternity. He is preparing us for what is unseen and what is eternal. And it puts us, it puts all of us in our rightful place. We humbly recognize what God is up to and what God is doing transforming these jars of clay. And then in our thanksgiving to who God is, even if things are so far from perfect, we see the grace of God, we see the hand of God, in the small things and the large things, we make space for God in our world and in our own souls, and we give glory to God. We put ourselves in the back, and we allow God to be the one who drives our lives. We allow God to be the one who creates the perspective for our lives with Him, redeeming and building, and the one for whom there is always reason to be thankful. Let's pray.